Welcome back to the fourth episode of my mini-series here in season two. We are one week closer to the F1 season. You know, IndyCar is starting this coming week. Formula E has started. Uh, Testing in Barcelona should be super soon for F1, even if it'll be, you know, limited exposure. But we are getting, we're getting back into the swing of things, which is a great feeling. Uh, but if you're if you're new here to our mini series, welcome. If you're not, you know the drill. These are my short 15 minute clips, so get you in and out the door really fast. All the information you need in a short period of time. And these are my driver spotlight episodes. So they're they're as they sound. I'm picking a singular driver and I'm giving you the best overview of their stats and records, uh, their on-track strengths, their their driving style, and a few off-track things as well to sum it up, maybe to give you a better picture, more fuller picture of the drivers that you watch, or a lot of these are obviously historical, so you're not watching them now, but the point stands, all it does is, all it's kind of meant to do is give you a better picture of the world of F1 and enjoy learning along with me. So today I am talking about someone many would consider the best of the best, and if you know, you know, it's Michael Schumacher. Uh, He is the holder of a multitude of records. He has undeniably changed the sport entirely during his career, and I think it's fun also that we've kind of made it full circle with his only son, Mick, racing in the sport as well. So I'm going to cover a few things about him, and then we'll be good to go. So let's get started. So Michael was born in Germany in January of 1969, and he entered Formula One in 1991, and he was here all the way up into 2012. And there was a break in those years that I'll chat about in a second. And so he's married. His wife's name is Corinna, and he has two kids, a daughter named Gina, and obviously, you know, a son named Mick. So Michael is honestly considered one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest all time of all time by a lot of people. And I don't make, I don't want to make a generalization because I think up until the point when Lewis tied with him, I think it was more certain that Michael was the greatest. And now that he and Lewis are shoulder to shoulder, you can kind of group the two of them in that conversation. Um, and so they both hold the record for the most world championships being seven. We'll see if Lewis can get uh, his eighth this year or in the future. And Michael has 91 race wins, which again, that was a record that stood for a very long time. Uh, I think it's Lewis has 103 currently, or at least at the time of recording, that's what the number is. So Michael in second with 91, and then behind Michael is Sebastian with 53. So that number of race wins was actually nearly a 30% success rate in winning races that he entered, which is pretty high. He had 68 pole positions over his career, 77 fastest laps, 155 podiums, which is over 50% of the races that he entered, and 221 points finishes, which is over 70% of the races that he entered. So the majority of the races that he entered, he was finishing in the points, if not getting on the podium. And that's that's pretty huge considering 
the, the many years he raced and the wide berth of opponents that he had. And so he and Sebastian Vettel share the title for most races won in a single season, which is 13. And Michael did that in 2004 with the team he won most with, which is Ferrari. Uh, and so he didn't spend his entire career at Ferrari. I know a lot of people associate Michael directly with the Scuderia, which is understandable and totally valid, but he was with a few teams prior to making it there. He actually started his career mid-season, so he didn't even start at the, the very first race of a season. He jumped in middle of the way, and he was replacing a gentleman by the name of Bertrand Gachot at Jordan, and I had never heard of this guy at all. I, as I was researching this, I did not recognize his name. I believe he committed a crime uh, because a lot of the articles that I was reading talked about imprisonment. I don't know what he did, if it was serious or not, but him actually going to jail for what he did was what gave Michael the opportunity to debut in the middle of the season. So Michael would really impress at that uh, at, at, with that kind of half season he would move on to Benetton after that for a few seasons, and he would win two championships there, the first of which at the age of 25. So then in 1996, Michael would move to Ferrari, and the work that he did with this team really was huge and very, very impactful. They hadn't won a driver's championship since 1979, in Formula One. And so Michael was coming in 20 years later with a 20-year drought. They really wanted to turn that around. And so by bringing Schumacher on board, he was very instrumental in helping them transform into the most successful team in Formula One history. His input and dedication and the time that he spent with mechanics and engineers and the higher-ups in the team all of that really paid off with the kind of massive success that Michael had while he was there. Now, he won five consecutive driver's titles from 2000 to 2004, including that unprecedented sixth and seventh title, and he would be with Ferrari for all of these years, all of these later years. Now, he would actually retire in 2006, and I know I said that he raced until 2012. Well, here's the explanation for why. So he would leave in 2006. He would, he would say he was done, but then he would actually come back in 2010 and he would be with Mercedes. So the Mercedes that we know today was, was racing in 2010. And I think he was partnered with Nico Rosberg at the time, who again, raced against Lewis, uh, was a champion in 2016 but Michael would be with Mercedes for three seasons until 2012, but they weren't very good years. A lot had changed in the sport since he had retired. In four years, a lot had been altered, um, and it, it, he just didn't suit the car as well as he wanted to, and so ultimately he didn't really accomplish as much as I know he would have hoped uh, in coming back. So... I think the one kind of light at the end of the tunnel for part of it or, or the, the positive thing was really that he got to race along alongside Sebastian Vettel. If you know anything about Sebastian, you know how much Michael means to him and how much they care about each other. 
uh, and how much Michael was really a mentor for him. And I think it was great to for Seb to be able to race with Michael because had Michael never never come back for that second kind of part of his career, he wouldn't have been able to to race alongside Seb. And I think that's that's really sweet. You can hear Seb talk so much about how Michael impacted his life and how he's kind of pouring back all of that uh, love and mentorship, all of that really going back to Mick, who's now on the grid. So I think that's kind of a sweet cycle uh, that gives a little bit of a, of a happiness to maybe what was kind of a difficult part of Michael's career. And he left racing totally in 2012. And in December of 2013, that was when he suffered a traumatic brain injury in a skiing accident. So I, uh, this kind of event has been very, they've kept a lot of their cards close to their chest and a, a very little information has ever been kind of released about it. And I never went looking because I didn't really want to, to pry or delve into it. But I know that he was in a coma for a bit. I Maybe it was medically induced because of the brain injury. And I believe because of that limited info that he's back home receiving treatment. But like I said, all the information surrounding the incident has largely been kept under wraps. And, you know, I don't have a problem with that. Now, let's move on to Michael's racing style. So this sounds super basic, but the long and the short of it was that Michael was incredibly fast. He had a very unique way of setting up his car that allowed him to be faster and stay faster over the laps and over the races and over the years. It, it was a specific, unique, personal setup that allowed him to be this, this fast. And so he would carry as much speed as possible into a corner. He would turn late into the apex, straighten out the car, and accelerate out of the corner. Which, as I spell it out, it sounds basic and very normal for wanting to drive the car fast. But in Michael's case, he would, he would do this and really not lift his foot off of the throttle. He really didn't ever go on to the brakes. He was just kind of using the gas pedal for this. So he would set his car up to uh, four more oversteer. And he had the skill to manage that variable with the car and ultimately use it to his advantage. So since then, others, a few other drivers have tried to mimic that style and setup of the car but no one has been able to use it and control it quite to the benefit that Michael did. Uh, so it's not been a popular setup, but Michael kind of pioneered doing it and did it better than anybody else. And so part of why his return to Mercedes for his second bout in F1 was so unsuccessful was really because the car wasn't set up the same way it previously was when he won. The car designs and aerodynamics and all of the physics and airflow, all of that stuff, the design had changed enough that the car behaved totally different and it didn't suit Michael's driving style. So the cars in the new era of Formula One had a lot more planted, steady back ends, which directly contrasted with the style that had helped Michael so much before. So he couldn't handle the car in the way that he wanted to. So that strong, like very 
clear difference was what hurt him so much and, and kind of made it such a struggle. Now, alongside Michael's fabulous achievements, he wasn't a driver without controversy. There were several incidences in his career that called some things into question. And I don't think people, that, that that's not to question his talent, but there were some sneaky kind of moves that made people question his intentions or maybe even moral compass in, in some way. I'm not trying to call him a bad person at all. That's, that's the words that I, I came up with. But if you look into the 1994 season, this is a good example that had a few kind of situations. So he was fighting with Damon Hill for their first, both of their first championships. And they were separated by a single point as they went down to the final race of the season, which was in Adelaide. But this race was actually rather very anticlimactic because they crashed into each other in the race. So Michael clipped a barrier from that altercation and he sustained damage. But both of the drivers were able to continue enough after this knock uh, to keep racing, to keep going. But... When Damon Hill came up later in the race to overtake Michael, he in, in, in doing so, he would take the lead and subsequently, obviously, the championship title. When he got there, Michael knocked into him again. So that took Hill out and gave Michael his first title. And a lot of people questioned whether foul play was at hand uh, for that to happen because things kind of went in Michael's favor when he made some questionable Uh, choices and actions. Now, there are several other instances where there was contact between him and other drivers at just very specific times during races or the seasons where those altercations directly benefited his races and championship uh, drives. And even in the early 2000s, there was an incident where Ferrari told their number two driver at the time, Rubens Barrichello, to let Michael buy to win the race. And so this was what saw the use of team orders being banned. And each of the drivers were fined over a million pounds for that problem. So that uh, Michael had his fair share of kind of questionable <laughs> um, situations in his career, but that's not to take away from his talents or, or what he achieved, because no driver is certainly perfect. Now, the last thing I wanted to mention uh, was the Schumacher documentary on Netflix, which I I would recommend to people wanting to learn more about him or just if you're a racing fan, I think it's a fun fun watch. And it, it does give a better picture of who he was. There are a lot of interviews in it. It is a documentary. There is a ton of old footage of Michael and racing footage, which is absolutely fabulous, but Michael himself doesn't speak in it, obviously, but his wife and kids do. Sebastian Vettel has like one line in it. Uh, Michael's brothers are in it. Bernie Eccleston, Michael, uh, Mika Hakkinen, Damon Hill, David Coulthard, Mark Webber, Ross Braun, Eddie Irvine, a ton of names are in it and kind of speak about their experiences with Michael. And you can tell the movie was made with a lot of love, but I, I kind of, one of the things that I liked the most about it was that it paints a more kind of realistic image of who Michael was as a driver. It doesn't gloss over 
or idealize or romanticize anything in an unnecessary way. It does a really nice job in showing the flaws that he had and that he dealt with amongst all the really great things that he accomplished. So I appreciated how it acknowledged both in the right way and, and put the focus on the right places. So I would recommend that. Uh, but that's it. Hopefully by the time we meet next, we'll have some good, new, exciting information about the F1 season coming up. So I thank you for listening and I will see you again soon.